This is a special time this morning, a time where we worship the Lord. We've already worshiped the Lord through singing and through prayer and through offering. Uh, let us uh, continue to worship by praying as our choir finds their seat. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the worship we have experienced thus far, Lord. And it wasn't just what's happened in the last few minutes, but it's been about what's been happening all week in the lives of believers, Lord. So, Lord, as I come to you this morning, Lord, I just lift you up. And, Lord, may your word be going forth, Lord, to change our lives, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'll tell you what, for me, when I'm getting together sermons, uh, it is kind of like you're in no man's land when you finish up a book. Like we, we went through John, and now we've gone through James, and now so at this point you're like, well, where do you go? And I really prayed, and, and God, I believe, gave me this, this next series that we're going to be talking about, and it's bodybuilding. Don't worry, it doesn't involve anyone taking their shirts off and showing their muscles. Uh, I'm not going to put you on a diet. The, the body that we're building today is not our physical bodies, which we need to do that. But we are talking about the body of Christ, because we have spent... Many weeks in John talking about what it meant to worship Jesus and who Jesus was. And then in the book of James, we talked about, first of all, there was like a mirror in front of us James put in place and showed us all the areas that we needed to work on. And then by the end of the book, he's telling us how we can, once we are in a place to be efficient for the Lord, how we can use that to not only better our lives, but more importantly, to better the lives of others by furthering the gospel. To be like a Christian, the term Christians, as we've said before, means little Christs. It was given to us meaning that we are, we, when people see us, we're acting like Christ. It was given as kind of a derogatory term, but before we jump into our text this morning, I want to show you one other text. It's in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, where Paul is speaking, and Paul says, to the Corinthians in his first letter, and you should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Boy, what a bold statement. He is telling everybody in the church, follow me and do what I do. Now, when I think of the word imitate, I picture a few things. I, I picture a sister or a brother trying to be just like their older sibling or maybe a parent. Uh, I think of those games where they would show you a picture, two pictures actually, that look exactly the same, but you have to pick out the differences between the two. How many of y'all like playing those games? Oh yeah, a few of you. Just like to find all those little details of what's different, something to, to pass your time. Because it looks like a good invitation, but there are a few things that are just not right. When I think of imitation, I think of uh, my mom and dad laughing when I would imitate mom teaching me how to drive. Uh, that uh, That is an experience in and of itself. And for those of you that have taught your children how to drive, God bless you. And uh, if, if you think that was tough, wait till you have to teach your son or daughter how to drive. Especially, they always used to cackle because my mom would, I would not be allowed to take major roads and so we would pass the speed limit sign, and it would say 25 miles an hour. And she would look at me and say, just because it says 25 doesn't mean you have to drive that fast. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. And she's probably in heaven uh, laughing now, right now that I said that. But uh, all of you have those sayings with maybe your parents where you can kind of 
get into cackle a little bit, but there are things that we see in our parents' lives that we either try to imitate or we just imitate because we were raised by them. Uh, one of the latest imitations that, uh, that I've picked up on is, I don't know, a lot of you uh, will come to our, our food uh, events and all this stuff like that, and anytime we have a covered dish or, or we're doing food for a family, it doesn't matter if there's food in the fellowship hall. You know what's coming, ladies, don't you? Because it used to, it, it, it was funny because for so many years we play this game all the time. And so finally, one day I snapped and I started imitating. And it was, you know, they say imitation is the highest form of flattery. So if you stay after a food event long enough, you're going to hear this game. Well, whose is this? Who's going to take, now whose plate is this? Whose drink is this? We can't throw this away. What are we going to do? And it just goes on and on and on. And they're trying to be the best stewards they can of that food. And I love those ladies to death. And when I imitate them, I am doing it just as much as I love my mom and dad. But imitation is one thing. Making jokes is one thing. But Paul here says that we are to be imitators of Christ. And he says, if you don't believe it, just follow me. What a bold statement for him to say. And so Paul is literally instructing believers to imitate Christ. So when every everyone does their part, can you imagine what the positive impact would be not only on our church, but the church as a whole? Folks, we must get past the view of what can God and the church do for me and move to what can I do for God and others in the church. That is the purpose of the church. That is why we attend a church. Is to yes, we we hear God's words preached and, and we get encouragement for us to make it through the week. But at the same time, it's not about us. It's about what we're doing for God and what we're doing for others. So so my goal in this series that we're going to be in for the next couple of weeks called bodybuilding is not to straighten out the church, okay? Uh, I have been overwhelmed, and I mentioned it earlier, I've been overwhelmed lately at the faithfulness of many of you who have given and sacrificed in big ways and in small ways and probably ways I haven't even seen to make this summer an incredible time of outreach. And so my prayer through this series is threefold. And, and when I can brought this to my, to, well, God brought it to my attention. When I thought about it, I said, we're going to have a motto for this series. And immediately I went back to VBS days. But yes, we're going to have a model, uh, not a model, but a motto for the next three weeks. And it's threefold. And so hopefully by the end of this series, you'll be able to remember some of these three points. This is what I hope that we can get out of these messages over the next few weeks. The first thing is find your strength. Find your strength. And you see the little handy arm icon there. I tried to take a picture of my own arm, but it was just too big to put there. Just kidding. Yeah. Um, But the second thing is, is discover your tools. Folks, every one of you in here, some of you men, I love going to your house because I get to go into your like garages and, and see you have got... Rooms and, and chests full of tools and things that probably you don't even know where everything is at. But still, 
you got all of these tools at your disposal. Folks, when I look out among this congregation, I see spiritual tools, spiritual gifts that God has blessed you with that are just available and ready for you to use. So find your strength, discover your tools, and then build your place. That's what I hope that when we get to the end of this, that you will be able to find your strength, discover your tools, and build your place. And so the first thing that we focus on today is finding your strength. And in finding your strength, we see that the first thing that Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, verses 1-5, through is do not let your weakness overshadow God's strength in your life. Do not let weakness overshadow God's strength in your life. When I think of that, I think of, um, uh, I was talking with a friend the other day and he let me uh, look through his binoculars. Man, they are great binoculars. They're awesome. And so I looked there and I could see way down the road. But you know what? If I were to take a quarter and just put it in front of that lens, it would eclipse that whole view. The whole view. A little quarter. Would take all of that away. And folks, so many times in our lives, God is so big and He is so huge, but we let this little thing get in front of our lens and we get this one thing on our mind and it overshadows God's greatness. Don't let it. Let's read verses 1 through 5 of chapter 12, 2 Corinthians. He says, This boasting will do no good, but I must go on. I will reluctantly tell about my visions and revelations from the Lord. I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I didn't know. I don't know. Only God knows. Yet, yes, I was only, yes, I was only, God knows whether I was in my body or outside of my body, but I do know that I was caught up to paradise. I was caught up to paradise. And immediately, I know some of those that have been coming on Wednesday night, there's some some bells that are going off when you hear this. Where it says, he's been called to paradise, and he heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed with words. Things no human is allowed to tell. But verse 5, that experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weakness. Of all of these great things that he saw in this vision, he said, those things are important, but I am only going to boast about my weaknesses. So as we look at that passage, the reason he is doing this is that many of the Jewish teachers of his day, of which he used to be one, would spend a lot of time building their case of why they had the right to say what they say. And uh, many in the Jewish community, they had certificates that were granted to them that gave them the authority to teach, much like a minister really needs to have a license to marry and bury. Because when you sign documents for those things, those are legal documents, and, and, and most sometimes people don't do that, but a minister should be licensed. Well, first of all, a minister should be called by God, but, but for, for the record... But then also, in some translations, yours might not say 
that I went and saw these visions. Yours might say, I know a man in Christ who did this. And so the reason it says that is that many times the Jewish rabbis of that day, they would teach about themselves in third person. Now, do you know somebody that talks about themselves in third person all the time? It can get kind of aggravating. James Strickland doesn't do this. James Strickland doesn't do that. And this, you know, that's just the way they talk. And so he was talking about himself. And the man Paul is referencing is himself. But Paul was not worried about gaining praise of his former Jewish colleagues because his experience validated his words. Let me say that one more time. His experience validated his words. Why am I a stickler on that phrase? Is because of this. Your experiences with God, yours and yours alone, not you and the person beside you, but yours and yours alone, your experiences are your experiences, right? Right? Your experiences are your experiences, meaning that there is nobody that has enough college degrees, that has enough technology, that has enough anything that can change your mind on your experiences because you are the one that went through them. You are the authority of your experiences, just as Paul was the authority of his. And Paul, God gave Paul this revelation. Paul, this is not the first time that God has revealed himself to him, because you know that Paul was on the road to Damascus. His name was Saul, and he was the very man that was persecuting Christians. Uh, it was crazy to see that, that when it, in Acts, it was talking about the fact that when Stephen, the first martyr... The first martyr, Christian martyr, was killed in Acts. His name was Stephen. Paul said, I was the very man that sat there and approved of that killing. As a matter of fact, I held the coats of the men who were stoning him. This was Paul. To come from that background to now, he he had a revelation with God on the road to Damascus. He saw a vision of Ananias coming to his aid to see him again and to, or to see again because he was blind and that because of the revelation and he saw a vision when ministering to the Gentiles. Here's my point. In your past, your past gives you the authority to speak on the things you have experienced. One of the most powerful tools you could ever have for the Lord. If you only know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you know that one verse, and you can tell people, this is my life before Christ, this is how I met Christ, and this is how my life is different. One verse, three points, in three minutes, you can change the world with the most authoritative story on the gospel you have ever experienced, because you experienced it. But yet we keep that life-giving story locked up in our brains because we fear we might have to share it or we fear we might mess it up. Folks, it is a powerful tool that God has given us and it's called a testimony. Now I'll tell you what, if some of you go get a deal, you get a pair of britches on sale or you get, you get, you know, some kind of certificate in the mail to get an oil change, you go, oh man. I made a great, I, I testify about this. Oh boy, have you been to that place down there? They got the best macaroni and cheese. And we don't mind saying those things. But about our testimony for Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm scared. I wouldn't know what to say. You are the authority 
And even if someone looks at you and says, you don't know what you're talking about. You can just look at them and say, bless your heart. I know what I know. In verse 5, Paul said he would rather boast about his weakness than his accomplishments. I would go ahead and tell you, don't try that on an interview. (laughs) Don't tell the person interviewing you all about your weaknesses. But for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of your life and for the sake of sharing what God is doing in your life, 2 Corinthians 12.5 again says, That experience is worth boasting about, but I'm not going to do it. I will boast only about my weaknesses. Why in the world would Paul boast on his weaknesses? Why would Paul, after having all of these great visions, all of these amazing opportunities, boast about his weaknesses? Stay tuned. We'll be there in a minute. I want us to jump ship a little bit. Because we're talking about weaknesses. And we're going to go to Psalm 51. So it's about in the middle of your Bible. Psalm 51. Why is it so hard for you to admit that you are weak? Why is it so hard for me to admit that I am weak? It's a five letter word. P. R-I-D-E. Pride. Or if you're deep in the South, pride. It's pride. Pride causes us to do that. St. Augustine said this about pride. He said, it was pride that changed angels into devils. And it is humility that makes us men as angels. One more time. It was pride that changed angels into devils. And it is humility that makes men as angels. St. Augustine. You see, the thing about God is that if you cannot admit that you are weak, then before long, He will confront you about it. If you cannot admit, if you cannot cry uncle and admit that He is God, He will put you through situations to remind you that He is. Some of you are in the middle of that right now. Some of you have just gotten out of it. And for some of you, it's right on the road ahead. God will put you into a situation that you cannot control. He will show His power in your life in a way that you cannot deny that that is a God thing. And He will allow your sin to dig yourself into a hole that you cannot get out of. How many people do we see walking the streets of this community that have dug themselves in a hole because of addiction and of sin and refusing to admit that they are weak and need God's help? The reason I go to Psalm 51 is because David was one of the strongest men ever in the Bible. He was a giant killer. He killed a giant as a teenage boy. He was a king. He was a warrior who became an adulterer, a murderer, and a broken leader. David's problem. Well, his problem is your problem and my problem. David's problem was he started believing his own hype. 
The second thing was, he surrounded himself with people that would not hold them accountable. If you are surrounding yourself with people that always tell you you're right and never challenge you with scripture and never challenge you to think about what God wants with your life, I would strongly suggest that you find a new set of friends. Because if you are surrounded by yes people, I guarantee you the yes people that I had in my life when I was not living for the Lord, they were my buddies until I ran out of stuff to share with them. Don't surround yourself with people that tell you what you want to hear. Surround yourself with people that will tell you what you need to hear. David didn't do that. All of his men, all of his leaders were gone off fighting the wars. He had his house help here that were basically paid to serve him and do whatever he wanted to do. No one would question the king. And so he was in a place that he shouldn't be. He had no accountability. And the third, and the third thing is, like I just said, he wasn't where God had placed him. If he would have been off fighting the war with his men, he never would have seen Bathsheba in all of her glory. He never would have taken that second look. He never would have compounded sin after sin after sin. And look, I am not throwing him under the bus. There but by the grace of God go I and you. His sins are no worse than your sins or my sins. But we learn a lot from him. So he was broken. He thought he was strong, but he was weak. How many churches are filled with people that think that they are strong when in reality they are weak? It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for a day or a million years. We all have weaknesses. We all sin and fall short of the glory of God. David's turnaround is in Psalm 51. Why is that? It's because David's turnaround was owning his sin and taking it to God. David's turnaround was owning his sin and taking it to God. When will the church be the church? When will there be revival? When will there be people just praising the Lord and doing the Lord's work? Is when people own their sin and take it to God. We see here in Psalm 51 verses 3 and 4, he says, I recognize my rebellion and it haunts me day and night. Against you and you alone have I sinned. This is where Christians get in trouble. They sin and there is no immediate consequences. So they think to get away with it. And in that moment, there is a little part of their heart that goes dead. And they live with it. And they do it again. And that space gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you start disobeying the Lord and don't even feel bad about it. Well, be careful, because Nathan might be on his way. Nathan in Scripture. Nathan might be on his way to confront you, like he confronted David. He says in verse 4, Against you and alone, against you and you alone have I sinned. If you cheat your boss out of an extra five minutes by leaving early, mm, sorry. If you tell a little white lie so you won't hurt the other person's feelings, If you just fudge a little bit on something, just a little bitty sin, understand, even if you do a big sin, you're not only offending that person, you're not only hurting yourself, it is a sin against God, your heavenly Father and Creator. David owned up to that. 
And he says, you will be proved right in what you say and your judgment against me is just. In other words, he's saying, God, I own it. You do what you need to do because I love you and whatever you need to do, do it. One of the boldest prayers you will ever make is say, God, build me or break me. Do whatever you need to do. And in verses 10 through 12, he says, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a clean heart. You remember that feeling when you first accepted Jesus as your Savior and Lord or those moments where you felt like you could take on hell with a water pistol? And then things came into your life that quenched that fire. That's not God's fault. There are so many churches, so many Bodies of believers, of Christians that are doing just enough to feel self-justified. When all the time, God is saying, I want to create in you a clean heart. Oh God, renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence and don't take your Holy Spirit from me. I love this. Restore the joy of your salvation and make me willing to obey you. My friend, the most miserable person in the world is the one who claims to be a Christian, yet thinks they are hiding their sin from God. How did that work out for Adam and Eve? They sinned against God. They hid from God. And all of a sudden they hear the footsteps. God knows right where they're at. And he asked, Adam, where are you? That wasn't a cute little biblical game of hide and seek. He was asking Adam and Eve, where are we? Where is our relationship now that you have done what I told you not to do? Are we good? Because I know where you're at and I know what you did. And I'm going to punish you, but it's because I love you. And if you've ever had a child or a grandchild, or someone under you that you had to punish because you loved them, you know exactly what God was going through. He goes through the same thing with you. The point here is to own our sin, to take it to God, to confess it, to repent, and accept your weakness and need for God's help daily. If you do not think you need God's help, you will not seek God's help. Point blank. If there is no need for God, you're not seeking God. But if you are seeking God, you will see your need for God. Finally, let's go back and finish up Paul's letter. Verses 6 through 10 of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He says, If I wanted to boast... I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. And we talked about a few of those a moment ago. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. A thorn in my flesh, a messenger from Satan. To torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three different times I begged the Lord 
to take it away. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now that I am glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me, that's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults and the hardships and the persecutions and troubles and suffer for Christ. Because here is the message I'm trying to get you to see. That for when I am weak, then I am strong, is what Paul was saying. As he wrote a majority of his letters from a jail cell, chained to murderers and thieves and adulterers. For when I am weak, then I am strong. That's why you need to embrace your weakness. That is why you need to be pliable and open towards God and honest with Him. Because he's sitting here and he's talking about this thorn that he had in the side that he prayed three times to rid himself of. Some scholars believe that he might have been going through a bout of malaria or he might have had some other type of chronic illness. And I know i got a lot of people in this congregation this morning that can identify with chronic illnesses and pains that won't go away. Some of you know exactly what that's like. There was something that was agging on Paul and something that was continually trying to take him, his mind, off of his purpose. You know what that's like, don't you? And he says, I prayed for the Lord to rid me of it, but you know what? If I'm going to keep it, I'm going to let it draw me to God, not take me away from Him. Paul had a constant physical ailment that kept him honest. And humble before the Lord. Very rarely will someone who is in pain physically or emotionally rejoice in that pain. However, the believer will know that God will see them through it. I am glad, I am really glad that when you read that passage, do we know exactly what Paul's thorn in the flesh was? Have you ever heard any preacher say what that thorn in the flesh was? I gave you some possibilities, but it's never named. You know why that's such an awesome thing? It's because his thorn is your thorn. You can identify with Paul. You may not be going through exactly the same thing because we don't know exactly what he was going through. But you know about praying to God three times to take something off of your plate, don't you? I do. He learned where to find his strength. And so did we. I love it when he says, My grace is all you need. And my power works best in weakness. Therefore, when I am weak, then I am strong. What did Paul receive for all of his suffering? Paul received gifts greater than healing. Gifts greater than him. You realize that, right? There are some things that will be better than that thorn being taken away from you. There will be some things that are painful for you to go through. But there will be benefits beyond this world. One being that for Paul, God's grace was abundant in his life. God changed his character. God made him humble. 
And he gave Paul the ability to put himself in the shoes of others that were struggling. I think of Jacob who wrestled with God. Folks, you do not wrestle with God and not come out of that unchanged. God wants to change your character. God wants you to be weak so that He can make you strong. I'll I'll close with this illustration. There's an illustration that I read. It was about a woman who was carrying two pots on a stick. She was a village woman. And she would go get the water in the morning and the evening. And so she had these, these two pots and she would walk up and she would fill both pots. But there was a problem. There was one pot that was cracked. It would leak. And there was another pot on the other side that was perfect and held all the water. So day after day she would go get water. One pot would stay intact, the other pot would leak. And so the the, the cracked pot felt really bad about it. Because the, the cracked pot had all of these deformities and and it was losing water as it was coming back. And, and the, the pot that was perfect was very proud of itself. So one day, the cracked pot was talking to the owner. And says, you know what? I'm very ashamed. I'm so sorry that I've got all these cracks. And you, and you, you drag me every day up this hill and down the hill. And I leak. And, and what you get at the well doesn't make it back. And the owner of that pot said, I want you to notice something. Look along the sides of the road. What you don't know, little cracked pot, is that I spread seed on the sides of the road, going up and coming back. So when you were leaking, you were giving those seeds and those plants and those beautiful flowers the water to grow. Folks, you are not a perfect pot. (laughs) I am not a perfect pot. But it's your cracks that God uses to fertilize not only your life, but those around you. God makes us weak to depend upon Him for strength. Stop thinking of your sin or self-pride, thinking that it makes you strong. Because it only keeps you from receiving God's strength. And then finally, your struggles and watering. Your, or your struggles are watering the seeds that God is growing in those where He places you in faith. And as we come back to the theme of this, I want you to find your strength because your family is depending on your walk with the Lord. Your children, your grandparents, your great-grandparents, your great-grandchildren, they're depending on what they see come out of you to fertilize their lives. Your co-workers depend upon that. Your church depends upon that. We're not looking for perfect pots. We're looking for cracked pots. That are seeking the Lord. In their weakness. And being made strong. Please put your pride aside. And be weak for the Lord. So that you may be strong. So we can build this body together. God, thank you for this sermon. And for this passage. And Lord, for the example that Paul set. As he says, imitate me as I imitate 
Christ. And dear Heavenly Father, as, as we've talked about in this message today, there may be someone here that says, you know what, I am weak and I didn't come to church today wanting to deal with this thing, but I've got something in my life that I need to let go of today because it is ruining everything. May this be the day. Maybe there is someone who has tried all their life to live in their own strength, realizing today that, Lord, the only way to live is in weakness with you being our strength. Maybe someone has sinned that they need to confess to you. Maybe there is someone that needs to repent. Maybe there's someone that needs to restore the joy of their salvation today. Lord, if one may be in that situation, may they come forward and allow me the privilege of praying with them. Or if they need to talk with someone, they can they can talk to me or, or anybody here, Lord. But I don't want people to leave today unchanged when you want to change them. Maybe someone wants to join this church or just come to the altar. Whatever it may be, Lord, may you work in their lives. And may they make a decision today that they will never regret for eternity. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?